This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. What you just said is pivotal. How can I understand what you said other than as what it would mean if I had said it. That's right. How can I release you from my projections? Wow. It's 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 so earthy and simple yeah. in a yeah. way. Yeah. It, it's very clear. It's not like I have to have great spiritual attainment in order to release you from my projections. Well, that would be great too. But I could actually start with these steps. Yeah. In this diagram. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast with David Nickturn on the Be Here Now Network. My name is Michael Cammers, your podkick and monologist. All of us here at Be Here Now and Dharma Moon sincerely hope this podcast finds you as well as can be, and we are happy that you are joining us. Here at CSM, our guide, senior Buddhist teacher, musician, and entrepreneur David Nickturn discusses how to lead an integrated life involving spiritual practice, creative expression, and right livelihood with our guests who embody and manifest these principles in their own life. And in this episode, we are fortunate to have New York Times bestselling author, Buddhist teacher, practitioner of the Enneagram, and longtime friend of David's, Susan Piver. In this discussion, the warmth of David and Susan's friendship is on full display. They begin by discussing Susan's relationship with the Enneagram, her journey writing the book, and cover some Enneagram basics. Then, they launch into a rich conversation on how to relate compassionately with those around us based on these principles, which the poll quote up top foreshadows. And now, some brief biographical info on Susan to set the table, and then on with the show. Susan Piver is the New York Times bestselling author of many books, including the award-winning How Not to Be Afraid of Your Own Life, The Wisdom of a Broken Heart, Start Here Now, An Open-Hearted Guide to the Path and Practice of Meditation, and The Four Noble Truths of Love, Buddhist Wisdom for Modern Relationships. 
Piver has been a practicing Buddhist since 1993 and graduated from a Buddhist seminary in 2004. She is an internationally acclaimed meditation teacher, known for her ability to translate ancient practices into modern life. Her work has been featured on The Oprah Show, Today, CNN, and in The New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and others. In 2013, she launched The Open Heart Project, the largest virtual mindfulness community in the world with 20,000 members. Susan has a new book available now entitled The Buddhist Enneagram, The Nine Paths to Warriorship. You can get it wherever books are sold. However, we encourage you to head over to her website, openheartproject.com, and pick up a book as directly as you can. All right, thank you for listening to the intro, and now on with the show... Here is David Nickturn and Susan Piver in discussion. Well, <clears throat> as I live and breathe, and it's actually hard to do one without the other, um, welcome back to the marvelous, uh, wonderful, dear, deep, old friend and frequenter of the Dharma Moon community and the podcast of Creativity, Spirituality, and Making the Buck. Let's have a big round of applause for Ms. Susan Piver, everybody, from the Open Heart Project. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. And I'm, okay. of course, I'm always happy to see you. And yeah. any touch point I have with the Dharma Moon world is uh, always makes me happy. Yeah. Let's, um, let's just let everybody know that, you know, um, We'll be talking to each other, but they can be listening in at the same time. Perfect. Okay. And in particular, because you and I have talked about everything over many years, so there's probably not a topic that's, you know, untouched, but there's this interesting thing with you and numbers that, if you remember, I kind of observed at one point. I, I, I literally saw you, we were talking, you know, just hanging out one evening. And I saw numbers swirling around you in my sort of mind's eye. I said, what's that, Susan? And then I realized it was this connection you have to the Enneagram. And, um, and now you're writing a book about this. Uh, it's been like your sort of secret sauce, I think, in a way. Uh, and you're not only writing a book about it, but you're connecting it with your Buddhist uh, teaching and studies. So it's called the, the Buddhist Enneagram, right? All true, yes. Am I saying it right? Yes, you are. Or is it Enneagram? Enneagram. How did you say it? An Enneagram. <laughs> I think, yeah. I don't think it's Enneagram. It's yeah, Enneagram. Okay. Enneagram. So accent on the first syllable. The <laughs> Buddhist Enneagram. So what the heck is that? Because I'm still trying to sort out, did anybody ever put those two things together before? Well, yes, I'm still trying to sort it out too. And as far as I know, Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Like, uh, but not from a tantric perspective. Oh. So there, there has been writing in the past about yeah. uh, different forms of spirituality. Can a cat be on the podcast? You, they have to sign a release, but that'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> they sign the release by showing you their butt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well done. Well done. <laughs> Can we say butt on a podcast? Yeah. Okay. Um, Kitty, thank you. Thank Here's you the real question. Presence. Can we not say butt on a podcast? That's <laughs> that's what you and I would have to figure out how to not do that. So, all right. So, um, people have written about the Buddhist. Enneagram from, right. with, with some sense of overlap in the Hindu world, perhaps. 
Oh, okay. uh, in the Sufi world, certainly. Right. Very much so in the Christian world in the last yeah. decade or so. Okay. But as far as I know, the Buddhist world, no. And the Vajrayana world, definitely no. Okay. So in, in a nutshell, you know, that's the title of my autobiography, My Life in a Nutshell. What do you think? I like it. I was also working on In One Era and Out the Other. <laughs> but too. yeah, uh, in a nutshell, for people who may not be familiar with the Enneagram, yeah. what is it? Yes, good question. So Ennea, E-N-N-E-A, is the Greek prefix for nine. Oh. And it, the system posits nine ways of being sometimes called nine personality types, but it's so much more vast than personality types like the five Buddha families. Right. You would never say these are five personality types, but they're personalities that go along with them. Personality traits, okay. anger it's, or pride yeah, and so I on. I see. Mm-hmm. So the Enneagram too, personality traits go along with them and you can stop there. You can mm-hmm. certainly stop there. So it could be just a schema for understanding how people manifest. Yeah, from a psychological perspective. Um, like Myers-Briggs or something like that. Exactly like Myers-Briggs. Okay. Um, what is it to you, though? It's something more than that to you. Yeah, it's, it is to me what much of our Buddhist practice also is to me. And I know to you as well, which is it describes a way to transform poison into medicine. Oh, it's transformational. It's okay. magical. It's uh, mysterious. And it, like the five Buddha families, a form of wisdom in Tibetan tradition, the poison and the medicine are not different. They exist along a single spectrum. So, for example, in our training, anger is on a spectrum with clarity. Mm, They're the on same the spectrum. Thing. That's a great way of putting it. It's on. It's on the spectrum. It's on the spectrum. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And you, if you try to get rid of one, you also get rid of the other. Oh. So there's a journey to be made from one end of the spectrum to the other. Same with the enneagram. Each of the nine types has a poison and a medicine in the mm-hmm. enneagram system called the passion and the virtue. Okay. And there's uh, a journey to be described, and that's where. Our Buddhist practice came in extremely handy because there are endless descriptions on how to make the spiritual journey in our training. So it's, it's alchemy, basically. That is exactly right. And was it originated by the alchemists in some place and some time, or do we know the root? <clears throat> well, uh, no, we do not know the root, which is one of the, of the many interesting things about the Enneagram. This is way up there. So I'll just tell you briefly what is known about the history of the Enneagram and a little bit about my journey to bust this case wide open. So the first person in recorded history known to teach the Enneagram was George Gurdjieff, the Greek-Armenian mystic from Readings with Remarkable Men guy. Yep. He taught to his students something called the Enneagram. But it was not the Enneagram of personality that we are talking about. It was the Enneagram as a system of understanding the cycles of nature. Dances and also, I've never studied his view of the Enneagram, but it wasn't what we're talking about. I'm, I'm curious, but I don't know what it is. Then fast forward like 25 years to Bolivia and a dude 
named Oscar Ichazo. Who I have intersected with in a weird way, which I'll tell you about you later. Have? But yes, I didn't meet him, but I met one of his students was one of my Tai Chi teachers. It's a, it's a small, small world until it's your turn to clean it or paint it, as you well know. <laughs> but um, so Oscar was the, um, picked up the thread of the story here. Oscar transmitted the Enneagram that you and I are talking about somehow. Okay. And who's going to play him in the movie? <laughs> Let's see. Ben Kingsley. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't he also into martial arts, though, Oscar? I don't know. Okay. All right. I don't so, know. Okay. That's another, I may be confusing two things there, but um, okay. So he, you met him or, or not? No, never met him, never okay. spoke to him. Okay. And he just died maybe like 18 months ago, two years ago. So, but you by could all have met, accounts, you could have met him. I could have met him. Okay. But by all accounts, not maybe not a great idea. He was very tight with his control of the Enneagram. Rightly or wrongly, I have no idea. But he initiated lawsuits against the first people to write about it. And yeah, Are they going to sue us for do, talking about it on the podcast? Well, they're dead. So okay. I don't know. Maybe they're okay. heirs. They're assignees. So okay. the, he had a student named Claudio Naranjo. Oh, no. I think it was Claudio that I'm talking about. Okay. That could ahead. be. That makes yeah. more sense, actually. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Claudio had tragedy. He lost his son, he was 17 years old, died in a car accident, oh. seeking, met Oscar Ichazo, took psychedelic substances, had visions under the tutelage of Oscar that he describes, because I met him and talked to him about it, as samadhi, as pure wakefulness that lasted for him for maybe a year. Like it was a it was a profound experience, let's say. And he studied the Enneagram with Oscar, and then he became a professor at UC Berkeley and started sharing the Enneagram with his students there. But saying, you can't write about this. This is only to be orally transmitted. And I'm sure that went over big at UC Berkeley. Like 40 books came out the next year, right? <laughs> like the next <laughs> week. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Claudio, beyond teaching these students, including Helen Palmer, who wrote the first real book about the Enneagram for a, a, a mainstream audience and was sued by Oscar Ichazo and won, she won, uh, he added to the system from his vast wisdom, he added really important components to our understanding of the Enneagram. And I, when I tried to figure out, well, where does this actually come from? I thought, well, there's one person who can answer me, and it's him. Okay. And he turns out he is a Nyingmapa, a, a student of Tibetan Buddhism of long, long standing. Is it Tartang Tulku? Tartang Tulku was his teacher. Okay, all these roads are starting to connect here. I, I'm starting to see some, you see numbers, I see like geodesic domes of connection. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> okay. So, so, and Helen Palmer's in that loop too, because she also studied with Tartan Toko, I think. Oh, did she? I didn't know that. Yes. Oh, interesting. Right. So there's, it's a small world to, to, it's your turn to paint or clean it. <laughs> okay. I like that. Yeah. So I emailed him and said, I'm going to be in Berkeley and I'd love to talk to you about the Enneagram and the five Buddha families. Uh -huh. Do you see any connection and, would you be willing to have a visit with me? 
And he said, yes. And then I booked a ticket because I live in Boston. I had no plans to be in Berkeley. So I lied. And I went to his house. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, he said, yes, I have mapped the five Buddha families and the Enneagram. This is all in a phone call then? No, this was now in person. Now you're live. I did go to his house. Real time. Okay. I, I will email you what I wrote, but you can never share it with anyone. He said that? Yeah. Or, or are you saying that to me? I'm saying that. He said that to me. I will email okay. you, Susan. I, Claudio, will email this to you, Susan, but you can never share it with anyone. And wow, that's deep. It, it is, and I never have shared it. You, you're allowed to talk about it, but not present what he sent you. I don't know. I just... Yeah. Said, yeah, okay. I, wow. I know, it was very intense. So... Tell me if I'm making the story too long because I no, know. We could, we could, no, not at all. Keep going. This was a, it was yeah. a crazy night. So his yeah. house is basically two chairs facing each other and stacks of books everywhere. It's his wow. little house in Berkeley. It's like a mad science. And he, he lived alone? Yes, but he had like many students who I assume were students, young people at different desks and with computers on top of stacks of books, just like right. typing and doing things. I don't know what they were doing. They're all speaking Spanish to each other. I don't speak Spanish. So I, I didn't know what, what they were doing, but it was, Oh, hi. Yeah. Come on in. And we sat and we talked and it was so generous of him. I said, this is the truth, but he may have been crazy wisdom mastering me, like right. just telling me some BS to get me to shut right. up. Yeah. So I said, is that, is that what crazy I, wisdom is? <laughs> Well, <laughs> nobody told you. <laughs> now you've completely reset my whole, you know, I have to recalibrate all that. Okay. Crazy was telling somebody some bullshit to shut them up. That's really good. <laughs> but you can never tell anybody that. All of that's kind of true. Okay. True. <laughs> okay. So, so um, many people, when I first studying the started studying the Enneagram like 30 years ago, people said, oh, it comes from Sufism. So, oh, okay. I never questioned that. Mm-hmm. But then I talked to a Western Sufi right. sheikh named Kabir Helminski, like the best name of all time. Wait, what's his name? Kabir Helminski. Oh, that's just, that's like one for the, uh, for we got to work him into the screenplay for sure. <laughs> Maybe he's the narrator. Kabir Helminski is... Uh, well, you see the story. Okay, I can see it all taking shape. All right, so I'm in. I'm in. All right, then Kabir. How did he? What did he? Well, he's written multiple books for Shambhala Publications. He's a, a true scholar of Sufism. And wow. I said, "Have you?" And have I, you guys- I ask his forgiveness for yeah, playing oh, no. with his name. I, I, I'm sorry. Oh, no, yeah, okay. Yeah. it's okay. I, yeah. I'm sure he's heard it before. Yeah. Um, but let's not detract from his gravitas, which is quite enormous. And I know you're not. So I said, do you guys study the Enneagram? Nope. Nope. Then like maybe a month later, two months later, he sent me an email saying, I've I've been going around trying to find out if there's a connection between Sufism and the Enneagram. And I found a passage in the Quran that describes the nine types of men. You found that. He found it. He found sent it. it okay. Me. Oh, I see. Okay. It's in the book. I put those nine types. Okay. I, 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 it was very interesting. That was the end of that uh, survey. 
But then I asked Claudio, why do people think the Enneagram comes from Sufism? And here's what he said. He said, <laughs> I needed them to shut up. They kept asking me, where does it come from? Where does it come from? And I said, Sufism. Ah, Just so okay. they would stop pestering me. Now, I don't okay. know. Of course, I have no idea if that's true. Right. And if somebody's listening who is a Sufi, please forgive. I mean, no yeah. disrespect. So then I said, well, where does it come from? This yeah. will come to the conclusion of this crazy cockamamie story. <laughs> uh, he leaves the room, yeah. comes back with an actual newspaper, kind of yellowing. And he reads me an article from, it's like some written in the 70s, some English paper, London, local London paper, I don't know, about a journalist who went on the search for what is called the Sarmoon Brotherhood. S-A-R-M-O-U-N, sometimes spelled with a G on the end. A cabal of wisdom masters who, whose work is to protect the true wisdom streams of our world. And they're maybe in a mountain town in Afghanistan, Pakistan. He went looking for them. And he found them. And then he finished reading the article, Claudio, and he left, put the, put the article back, came back into the room and said, do you like Chinese food? I said, yes. And we went out to dinner. Yeah. And that was it. And did you talk about it further at dinner or just? No. Past the I, I felt sum, that the subject, you know? I felt the subject, so past the, past the, uh, dumplings. Yeah. I felt that the subject was closed. And every time I email, I only emailed him a few times after that, I never heard from him. So it's like <sighs> the door opened and then it closed. Okay. So this is what we can gather from this is that the roots are shrouded. Um, but one more piece that's yeah, probably the most okay. important piece. And I almost left okay. it out. So I said to him, the Enneagram feels to me like a terma. A yeah, treasure okay. in the Nyingma tradition, as you very well know. And Terma teachings are said to be hidden teachings, hidden in various places for people of the future to find. And they're fully formed. Mm -hmm. This feels like that. Mm -hmm. It's a fully formed teaching that was self-existing. Right. And he said, oh, I never thought about that. Yeah, it's a Terma. He was like the Sufism thing to me. I don't know. What, yeah, that's what he said. Mm -hmm, no. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's the closest I can get to understanding okay. its origins. But it has a written form to it. Is it in English, for example? Yeah. Is it? Is it, it, did you you encounter a book uh, that that summed it up or outlined mm -hmm. it? Okay. It's a system. A Each system. type has a passion and a virtue, a okay. poison and a medicine, an idealization. An avoidance, a talking style, a fixation. Right. Each type has these things. It's a system. It's so you got the source code for interpersonal relationships, basically. It's like a yeah. It's like a decoder and ring. And how has that helped your marriage? Well, it has helped it so much. So Duncan, who you know, my husband. Yeah is a number one on the Enneagram. Okay. He's the first one, which she means, says, oh, that means I'm the best. Okay. Oh, okay. Definitely. Okay. 
Yeah, oh, that's okay. true, sweetie. So yeah. he's a one. <laughs> <laughs> now I know how you stayed married so long. Okay, that's good. Yeah, I believe enlightened right. ignorance is the key to relationships You're with longevity. Right. Oh, but just an aside, yeah. my yeah. father, this is the advice my father gave Duncan the night before we, we got married. Yeah. He said, son, sit down. I won't make, this is nothing to do with our topic. I want to tell you the secret to marital happiness. Yeah. You get in a fight with my daughter, Susan. And you go back and forth. You don't know what to do. You say to her, Susan, come here, sit down. You put your hands on her shoulders and you look her in the eye and you say, you're right. Wow. I never tried that. <laughs> Neither is he, let me tell you. <laughs> so he's anyway, a one. So Coming they, back to they the They actually are the kind that folk, every type has an attentional arc. Okay. What gets their attention first in a situation for him, that is error. Error gets his attention. Huh? Right and wrong. It's a black and white position. So he's looking constantly, scanning the environment, the conversation, whatever he's doing for mistakes. Wow. My type, that's not where my attention goes. What number are my you? Attention, four. You're four, okay. My attention goes to meaning. What does it mean? Uh, okay. If you are what type I think you are, I don't know. You're the six, let's just six. say. The okay. attention goes to threat. 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 Wow. We could threaten this. So, so threat, error, and meaning are different things. Right. Wow. And if you're going all into, well, what's the threat here? What, and I'm going to, well, what does it mean? Right. And we think we're talking about the same thing. Right. Okay. So when Duncan and I disagree about something, if I can find a, some error to take responsibility for, Mm -hmm. or to acknowledge whether I mm -hmm. take responsibility for it or not, mm -hmm. his ears open. It's okay. Now we're talking about the important thing. Not I'm not right. pandering to him. And no, I, get, okay, I so, want to acknowledge what he is, what is bothering him. Right. And it's the error. Wow. And to get your attention, what does it all mean? Somebody starts talking about, that aspect, and you become much more pliant and compliant and interested and responsive. Yeah, just as simple as what does this mean to you? Or what do you think the meaning of this is? Or how what, how did you feel? I, I, I'm interested. Then uh -huh. I really relax. Wow. So what are the, can you briefly go through the nine? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In terms of this the aspect? attentional arc. Let's talk about the attentional, attentional arc, arc of each of the nine. One, error. Okay. Two, need. Who needs what? Okay. Three, status. Appearances. Mm. Four, okay. meaning. Right. Other Enneagram teachers would describe this differently for four, but that's what that's my choice. Okay. Five, knowledge. What can be learned? What can be known? Okay. Six, threat. Seven, pleasure. Uh, can I switch over to that one? No. <laughs> okay. All right. Go ahead. Yep. Eight, dominance. Ooh. How can I dominate? Who uh, might dominate me? And nine, comfort. Uh -huh. How do I get comfortable? Okay. Wow. And that's the attentional arc. That's where somebody, they encounter a situation, their mind is naturally going to tune into that aspect. 
So what yeah, are the other elements? somewhere together. Right. Go okay. ahead. Be besides attentional arc, what's the next sort of, um, you know... Uh, data point. Yeah, data point. Uh, idealization and avoidance. They're sort of twins. So for my type, <laughs> four, which is... Each type also has a, a direction in, the, in a sense that they're either... Uh, extrajecting, I don't know if that's a word, their core quality, or they're introjecting it, or they're disconnected from it. Right. So for four, I'm the type where all the emotional energy, it's an emotional type, three of them are emotional types, and all the emotional energy goes in, as opposed to twos where it goes out. Their attention mm -hmm. goes to need, who needs mm -hmm. what and how can we connect. Mine goes in. So Fours are like tuning forks. You hold two tuning forks in one hand. And if people don't know what that is, Google tuning forks. Yeah. And you hit this one, then this one starts to vibrate. Resonance for those people who don't who need a word for it. Resonance is what it's called. Resonance, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But mm -hmm. for the four, the resonance is it's happening within me. Whatever it is happening out here, it's happening within me. Uh -huh. So it can be a very self-absorbed position and a very empathetic position. Anyway. The idealization for four is I am special. So special because I feel so much with so much nuance that no one will ever see me. I am special. Oh. And the avoidance for four is called ordinariness. So many people want an ordinary life. I want a partner. Right. I want a home. I want some money in the bank. Fours are like, that would be horrible. Right. Okay. And so if we go through one through nine again, could you do it again? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, for one, and there the will be a test, I, everybody. There will be a quiz. Okay. And don't worry, because the Enneagram is already in your mind. It's, you have to buy the book is what I'm going to just jump in and say. This is a book that's coming out in probably September 2022. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, yeah. we're giving you a portal into it, but um, you have to go buy the book. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, go ahead. For the one, the by Susan Piber. Nine Paths to Warriorship. Okay, we'll get to that in a I, minute. Yeah. Okay, the uh, idealization for one, I am correct. Yeah, right. And I am wrong. Like, they'll do yeah, anything okay. to avoid saying I am wrong. <sighs> and we've all known people like that. You cannot get them to say I was wrong. Because that's the worst thing you can be, is wrong. And so, we, uh, we are all in our own way looking to find somebody to marry like that, right? Yes, everybody loves that quality. <laughs> yeah, let's just see if we can find the one person in the universe who is never wrong and marry them. That's a good, that's a good outcome. Okay. You, that would be awesome. And have them remind us of that daily. Okay. Or, or, or more frequently even. <laughs> <laughs> but two, the idealization is I am needed. I'm needed. So that's okay. where they get their sense of power. I am needed. Okay. And the avoidance is their own needs. Ah, okay. For three, the idealization is I am successful. Da, right. da, 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 da. And the avoidance is failure. Nobody okay. likes to fail, of course, but for three, no, yeah. absolutely not. I mean, uh, okay. I knew someone some time ago who was facing really, really, really difficult situation where they might lose everything. Right. And there are three. And there, a friend, also a three, said to them, well, if you lose everything, you could write a book about it. So 
even this is not a, a failure. I've lost right. everything. Right. Okay. Four, ordinariness. I am special and avoid ordinariness. Five, the avoidance is, the idealization is I am knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. And the avoidance is being without the right information. They also avoid lack of privacy, but that's a different aspect. Uh, six, the idealization is I am safe. And the avoidance is called deviance. doesn't mean sexual deviance. It means don't deviate from what I expect is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Because that is the worst thing. Mm-hmm. And seven, the idealization is I am happy. Mm-hmm. And the avoidance is pain. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes pain, but we all have to face pain. And they don't they'd rather not. Eight, the idealization is I am strong. And they are. And the avoidance is the opposite. Nine, the idealization is I am comfortable. And the avoidance is conflict at any level to any degree. So they're conflict diverse. Conflict diverse. Now, I'm going to just be the guy in the back of the hall, you know, going, oh, but uh, Miss Byer, you know, um, I have a question. Uh, couldn't we be more than one of these things? No. I mean, no. if you want to be, you could, no, but no. What if you're like a three on Thursday and a six no. on Friday? No. 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 I, the way happen. I think of the Enneagram is like, you were born in New York City, right, Dave? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Will you ever not be born in New York City? In this lifetime. Okay, so it's sort of like you could move to China. Watermarked in there. You could move to Los Angeles. Right. Okay. But you will always be a New Yorker. And then you take on the qualities of these various places, just in this example. But in the Enneagram, if you've ever seen the diagram, there are lines connecting different numbers. And those are like journeys that you visit, and you can take on the flavors of those where those numbers end. Okay. And what if you reincarnated? Could you, would you still be the same number? Now you're way beyond my pay grade. I do not know. <laughs> In other words, is this something that's sort of like so fundamental that it's attached to your core being? I never thought of that question. It's, it's a really good question. Yeah. I don't know the way I, I'm not a mom. So I just going on hearsay here, but friends of mine, women I've known who have had more than one child, they just they say it felt di- this one felt different than that one before they were even born. Mm-hmm. So there's a, an energetic quality. Okay, and that's as close as I can come to equating what the enneagram feels like. Yeah, wow. It's the luminous part of the emptiness luminosity. Right. Uh, so how many other how many other characteristics or data points are there? We've done two so far. Talk, talking styles. That's my favorite, I think. And fixations. And those are the basic categories, but none of them really describe the type. You sort of, you need to read a book about it. You need to hear someone talk about it to give you the real flavor of the type. It's not just this list of qualities. So I think we didn't talk about talking style or fixation. And there's also holy idea and other things. Because when you tap on the desk, oh, it's sorry. Picked, the mic is picking it up. So just sorry. be aware of that. Okay. Um, okay. So now you are, what about, uh, obviously these are conceptual frameworks. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
And if you move into a space of non-conceptual communication or beyond mm-hmm. that, did the how do these what happens to these uh, characteristics? Do they eat, dissolve into space? Uh, if, if somebody becomes beyond their characteristics in the sense of uh, they really opened into a totally fluid state of being, would they transcend their number? Would they? Would there mm-hmm. still be a trace of it? Well, having known, I have a. Uh, is a number five, you know, or is he manifesting, or even the Buddha families, like they say something like that is man- can manifest all the Buddha families. Yeah. Well, having known very few people who would qualify mm-hmm. in this description, I don't know. But my sense is, let's say the Dalai Lama is an enlightened being. Is he going to be a different person than he was before attaining enlightenment, no matter how many lifetimes ago or how many hours ago that was, he has a certain presence. Trungpa Rinpoche had a presence and a way and a talking style and a, you you can't, I'm not saying you could capture who that guy was ever, but there's a a way Mm -hmm. of being and yeah. teaching that I would associate with a particular number. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, having never met him, among other reasons, among other reasons, I don't know. But so you would take, like, for example, what, what don't you study with Tukutanda sometimes? Uh-huh. Is he a number that you could identify? Would you see a five? I do see a five, actually, or see, a nine. I, I don't okay. know, but you just picked yeah, that would, out. Of the sky. I was just guessing. You know. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. I don't really know. But you could, the more Xinjiang someone is, the right. more process, the harder right. it is to tell. Ah, that's so interesting. They become more inscrutable in a way. Yes, exactly. That's hard a perfect to, way to say it. Hard to evaluate it. Um, and, and do you use this um, in your daily life as a kind of strategic way of interacting skillfully with people? Is that what yes. you say that's one of the kind of perks? Yes. Now, there's a difference between interactive, interacting strategically and being a manipulative jerk. And the Enneagram, I really try not to be the Wait a minute, hold on. You're blowing my whole game here. Sorry. (laughs) Well, the Enneagram teacher said, you don't type other people. Just don't Uh, do that. Don't do that. You don't really know. You don't really know. So you use it for yourself more? And when I am with someone, I think, think, oh, that person is a three-ish, something three-ish is happening I try not to think you are a three. Mm-hmm. And I think I feel the energy of three right now. Okay. And I'm uh, going to leave it at that. Right. Beautiful. Oh, I use it every single day of my life. And I yeah. have for decades. Yeah. And do you see the numbers sometimes? Like, does it the, the physical number flash? No, but I'm a very non-visual person. Ah, that's interesting. Because that was literally what I saw that night. I saw just li- al- uh, alphanumeric, what do you call it? The... Arabic, Digits? You know, Digits? You know, like four, three, you know, the, the way what we write them. What did they look like? Arabic? What were they doing? I, I they they were just like hanging out in space around you and moving around. And it's like one, four, three, six, seven, eight, nine. And it was just as ordinary as seeing those books behind you. That's amazing. Because that's yeah. what happened when I was a child. Wow. I would, when I was a little kid, I would lie in bed and I would see numbers. Queen's Gambit. Something like that. Yeah, right? She's looking up at the ceiling and seeing the chess pieces moving around. Something like that. Yeah. and But but now you don't, is what you're saying. That was Mm -hmm. a childhood experience. Yeah. 
Did you tell your parents about it ever? No. That's because you you think they would have thought maybe that you're a little bit Meshuggah or what? Probably some combination of Meshuggah and, well, maybe everyone sees this. You know, when you're a little Uh kid, you think what you're experiencing is what people experience. Yeah. So what is it you want to share? Why are you writing a book about it? Why are you putting it out there in this way? Uh, You've described something that's been a sort of inner, almost secret kind of coded thing. And the people who gave it, you said, don't, you know shared, whatever. Why at, at this time now, at, at, in 2022, what's motivating you to want to share this perspective? Thank you for asking. And first, nobody gave it to me. Nobody, nobody trained me. Mm. I, I don't know how I even know it. And I don't mean to sound woo-woo like and put on a mm. wizard hat or anything, but I, I, I just studied it on my own. I never took a training or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I found in my work as a teacher of Buddhism and in my practice as a student of Buddhism that the Enneagram was the most potent, skillful means I ever found. And by skillful means or upaya, meaning a way to deepen compassion in any situation. And that compassion could look like anything, not necessarily only being nice, but being sharp or being silent. The Enneagram was the skill was and is the skillful means I rely on more than anything else. And so I started teaching it to people in the open heart project or friends at first, not as anything, just hey, here's what the Enneagram's like. Like, well, you like did you do a class about. or a workshop on it with your with your open heart project? Or just yeah, I have. More casual? Well, at first it was just casual. Some friends were like, I want I want to hear, I want to know about this. And I had some people right. over for dinner and we talked about it. But then I started teaching like workshops in the Open Heart Project, just 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, why do you write a book? You know, it's like, I got to do it. Or Well, because you want to share a perspective, I think. But there's something under, yes, of course. But there's something under that because you have a number of perspectives you could share. But there's mm-hmm. something about this collision that feels, oh, I got to do it. Mm-hmm. Because it yeah, it's a pain in the butt to write a book. It's not for those of you who have not done it. You know, um, you could you could um, uh, think of it as well. For example, it's a long exercise. You don't write a book in two weeks. You write it over a year or two, if and um, and then it lives there. It hangs out in space, and you know. Um, it's interesting to go back and read, you know, you've written books uh, your whole career. And when you go back and read ones that you wrote 15 or 20 years ago, is there a feeling of like, God, I've really grown since then? <laughs> no. <laughs> now you like them. Maybe. No, I don't feel either of those things. I feel like, I don't know who she is, but I hope she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> you know, I'm like, who wrote that? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Do so, you feel that way? Uh you know, on, on on analysis, I've only written two books and I started pretty late with that thing. Of course, I've written tons of music and that's yeah. a, a whole different conversation. The books were a thread or a theme. I almost felt like I'm supposed to be the one, I'm supposed to be the one to take this forward. That's exactly how I feel too. And it's, yeah. a, it's I mean, I don't mean to sound pretentious, but it's, a, I want to honor my teachers and my exactly. lineage. And right. this is a tribute. This is an offering. Yeah. And and so, but in this case, 
nobody exactly taught you this. So that's interesting. It's this. Yeah. So people certainly taught me about the three jewels and the Buddhist path. Yes. And right. this, this I became uh, an outgrowth. It was married. It was stitched in to those teachings. That's how I feel. So I had a funny flash about this. Are you interested in AI at all? No. Are you? Very. Cool. Uh, uh, you know what it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and there was a guy fired from Google. I and mean, this has made the news lately because he was he was uh, uh, revealing that they had had an AI sort of start to take on things, and they had to unplug it. And he, you know, there's been stories about people unplugging AIs. They're being developed all over the place, obviously. And it's already being used in things like, um, you know, algorithms that are designed for Instagram and stuff like that. There's already a thread of what would reality look like from machine language point of view. Mm. And I just had this goofy thought. It's probably, you know, way off the mark, that the Enneagram was written by an AI in the future. Oh, who sent it back to the past? That <laughs> is <laughs> awesome and hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Like, what? What if you had, you know, the kind of like, like the Terminator? You know, that little grid that comes up, and you looked at the human race. Me? What would you? Yeah, and, and anybody. Oh, and AI. Yes. Through and the, you would start to see. Oh, this is not. First of all, we you see is that individuality is is only one very small drop in the bucket of what's happening with the human race. Mm -hmm. And everybody thinks they're the only one. And, you know, that I would make that as my first comment. I go, wow, they all think they're unique in some way. And they sort of are. But what what is the grid and the threads of, 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 of how are different people working and how it's not really based solely on individuality? There's, there's some through lines and, and, and connections. Mm -hmm. So the fact that there's nine things it's always interesting when there's a number. Like I agree. It, like six realms, you go, well, yeah. isn't there a seventh realm? You right. know, Four Noble Jews, wasn't there a fifth one? Right. You know? <laughs> know. So know. Uh, you, you're, it has that AI-ish kind of, like I am going to provide a grid and a format here and you will be able to see the mechanism, the system, the, the, the uh, operating system, operating system. I never thought about that. But yeah, it's like the ones and zeros, but... In nine digits. Yeah. yeah. And, and and what about um, your mind draws you towards that kind of capacity to characterize things in that way? I appreciate that question. I don't know, but I've always been drawn to to, to that, to sort of totemic. Yeah. Uh, symbolic languages, I would call them. Mm, mm. And I just always have, probably in part because I'm like, what the hell's going on? Somebody better explain this. And... I don't know. You just have these natural predilections, and that was one of mine. Always has been. Yeah. So the system mind is appealing to you, a natural place for you to hang out in. I like to see patterning. Yeah, patterns. Okay. And um, pe people, by the way, think, well, how can there only be nine? I don't want to be put in a box. There may be more than nine. Well, okay. Actually, there's 27. But that's, that's another story. There are nine. And I don't want to be put in a box. Well, you're already in a box, is what I always think. Mm -hmm. You're already in a box. Would you like to see what it looks like? Now Here's that's, a map. That's a good title for a book. You're already in a box. <laughs> Would you like to see what it, subtitle? Would you like yeah. to see what it looks like? Yeah. Well, and in a way, that is that 
kind of is Buddhism in a nutshell. Well, that's really true. You're already in a box, so let's not go let's not go back and lit- relitigate that, you know. Let's first, not first decorate. noble truth, you're already in a box. And let's really take a good look at it and see um is there does it imply by being in a box that there's a space outside of the box that your consciousness could actually operate in and what would that be like? Or and then you, you want to, yeah. go ahead. And then you want to go back in the box and see what's going on again. Exactly. The cocoon. Do you want to make <laughs> decorate your cocoon to be really beautiful? Yeah. But there's still something outside of it. Mm. Well, uh, tell us more about the book and 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 what what um what did you go through writing this book? It was so hard, Dave. Yeah. I, I don't mean to sound like a you know first world problem complainy person, but I'm not complaining. But it was like wrangling a wild animal in some way. I. I'd write it and I'd leave it alone and then I'd look at it and I'd go, this is horrible. And then I'd look at it again and go, oh, maybe it's not bad. Same same words. It, it just took a long time to take shape. Mm. A couple of years, mm. maybe three even. And I... Did you want to give up on it at certain points? Just go, absolutely. I, I, yeah, I quit. Absolutely. Oh, totally. Yeah. Because I thought this is stupid. Wow. But then there seemed to be a Buddhist teaching would appear in my mind uh, for each number. Like, for one, I am angry. Yeah. That's the passion is anger. The virtue is serenity. Well, what does Buddhism have to say about anger? A lot. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's look at, you know, mirror-like wisdom for that number. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And twos... So you correlated with the Buddha families? Not the Buddha families, but a Buddhist teaching from our Vajrayana perspective. Okay. So two, I'm focused on other people's needs and I'm ignoring my own needs. Well, let's talk about the forms of generosity. You know, giving material goods and giving the gift of Dharma and giving the gift of fearlessness as defined by Chagyam Trungpa. What could a two learn from that view of generosity? instead of just reflexive giving. So on and on for the nine numbers, something came up. So you correlated your two kind of, you, you, you put your two, you were torn between two lovers feeling like a fool. And then you said, well, let's just, let's just have a, a threesome? No, I can't say that. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I get where um, you're going. It's a little bit of a stretch, but yeah. hey, my friends, let's have dinner together. That's yeah. more like what it was like. Okay. Wow. And, um, you know, people, are, you're going to be invited after you put this book out to talk about it. Are you looking forward to that? I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, there's a lot of Enneagram out there these days. A lot are of people en- in, uh, a lot of interest in it. A lot of interest in it and uh-huh. a lot of uh, sort of um, institutions, for lack of a better word, have arisen. The Enneagram, International Enneagram Association and various things. Great. It's mm. so nice that those things are there, but they have their, their particular point of view. And I've already gotten a little bit of a ding from someone saying, we don't, that's those, we don't talk about that anymore. Not, or we talk about it, but we use different words. Talk about what anymore? Uh, certain ways of referring to the journey in the, within the Enneagram. We don't call it integration and disintegration. Who's we? I don't who know. They, who, oh, I don't know. you got contacted by the... Well, I... 
Enneagram I, Mafia? No, I happen to be in a dialogue already with someone who's a very mm. wonderful Enneagram teacher and uh-huh. a popular author for very good reason. And right. So I'm sort of scared. I'm sort of expecting. Oh, I don't know. It feels vulnerable. Yeah. I'm busted. You have to go see the principal. But I'd love to talk about it because yeah. there's really something fresh and wonderful here. Mm-hmm. And it generates enormous self-compassion. Well, you know, the idea of language and people, uh, something I've been thinking about a lot lately is, did you want? Did you understand what I just said? You know, you're talking to somebody like I said, or am I really understanding what you said, what you're saying? So, for example, literally, um, I have a friend who's Italian and speaks good English, but I'm going like, I'm not sure I, if I, well, that was English. And I had this experience also when I went to England to visit my friend Laden Wainwright once who was living there at the time. And he was on this Jasper Caracho, I think it was the name of it. A, a, a British comedian, and I sat there for half an hour, and I said, this is English, and everybody around me is roaring in laughter, uh, and I don't get it. What's the joke? So this idea that we don't get the joke the way somebody else gets it, um, and that also, that correlates, I know you're going to resonate with this, the universal translator on Star Trek. I, How come I, all I, these aliens speak English? Did anybody ever think of that? Oh. You know? You know, the guy's got a potato for a head and he's speaking perfect English, you know. <laughs> I and, know that guy. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, Mr. Potato Head. But, um, you know, how do we understand somebody who's coming from a slightly different personal bias or cultural bias? How can we plug it in and go, oh, okay, I know what you mean. Like what you said with you and Duncan, you know, uh, he, wrong or right, was that the, was that the thread? I get it. This person is framing their whole reality in terms of that. I can know that and be much more uh, understanding and communicative within that person's frame of reference. Yeah, and not just take it personally. Right. Why are you only talking about something that's of no interest to me? Right. Why are you doing that to me? Right. Wow. It's deep. It's, it really um, is. And, and, and if it's motivated by... Um, because I think this is a big topic in the world right now, globalization, which means individual pockets of culture are being thrust together mm. in a cyclotron at the moment. Mm. And it's going to be, and people are not understanding each other. Mm-hmm. That's what I see. Like, you know, they're not framing reality the same way. And so they don't understand each other and anger arises or this alienation or fear or, you know, um, all the things that we're seeing. Absolutely. So I think, you know, that thread might be an interesting thread going forward of like, how can we talk to each other and how really understand each, each other? other? You know, I could not agree more. Yeah. How cool. can we not interpret what everyone is saying through the lens of what it would mean if I said it? Wow. And there could be a relationship workshop on that. That would be like, a huge bestseller. <laughs> because don't you think couples are the embodiment of, of that misunderstanding in a lot of oh, times? A hundred percent. They're trying yeah. so hard, you know, and, and they mean well. Usually. You know, or at some level. Uh, yeah. But it's what you just said is pivotal. How can I understand what you said other than as what it would mean if I had said it? That's right. How can I release you from my projections? Wow. 
it's 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 so earthy and simple yeah. in a yeah. way. Yeah. It, it's very clear. It's not like I have to have great spiritual attainment in order to release you from my projections. Well, that would be great too. But I could actually start with these steps. Yeah. In this diagram. How can I release you from my projections? That's so sweet. There's a, you know, I just saw everybody in the world melting and falling in love and just going, I get it now. I know. I've been seeing you through the filter of my own projections and I'm not seeing you clearly. Honestly, Dave, I think that's what love is. Releasing somebody from, it's like you and Sting, right? No. No, if you you love someone, set them free. Remember that song? Yes, I do. But um, yeah, I see you. Mm -hmm. I may like you, I may not like you. But I see, I'm looking at you, not through myself at you. Wow. So it's beyond ego. Yes. It's how to see beyond an egocentric perspective. In a relative, in the relative plane, yes. And what does that require us to let go of to do that? Good question. I don't know that we could let go of anything. But at the same time, as as meditators, we let go constantly. Let go of this thought, let go of that idea, come back to right now. So what we could let go of is in that spirit. Just let go, come back. Do you, do you are you dealing with working with this notion of core wound at all? No. It, are you? It, um, well, I hear you know I'm I'm like I, I, I'm like an old guy who keeps his ear to the ground still you know and I hear the the hooves and the people coming and going and stuff like that and I feel like and you know you and I both have been t- teaching Dharma for decades but I feel like the the notion of trauma has come into play as a central, you know, now everybody's suddenly talking about trauma. And uh, the, the notion of um, spiritual bypassing is very powerful right now, more so than ever, in terms of not using the teachings to just kind of stay with the absolute level of, of, of truth without getting into the relative truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so core wound... Maybe I don't even know enough to talk about it. It's probably the case. But it seems like if you get to know somebody, they do have a core wound. Mm. They, they got injured somewhere along mm. the Like the baby got dropped on his head mm-hmm. <laughs> at some point. And if you go close to that spot in them, you're going to see them blow up, you know, yeah. and, and, and they, they would do anything to keep you away from that. Right. And, and, and then... If you start to work with that yourself, it's very hard because you're going right at the thing is going right at the itself. So I wonder if you look for the origin of these things you're talking about. Are people wounded? Seems like they are. Do you feel wounded? Oh, totally. Do you? Yeah, because nobody would listen to me and do what I said. Nobody even knew I was there. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Well, what do you mean by that? That's that's sort of deep. Oh yeah, that's the wound for me. It's, nobody knew it. It was like it, the way I think of it is there's little Susie. Yeah. People are talking, say parents or whatever, and little Susie comes up and says something, and they look, and then they just start talking to each other again. 
Wow. Nothing. Wow. That's how I describe it. My brother and sister would say it differently. So they had a different experience of the same environment. Yep, exactly. That's always interesting too, right? Would there be some, would there be some common thread? Between me and about? my brother and sister? Yeah. Like I talk oh. to my sister and we go like, yeah, I, we're, oh, totally. we're Holocaust survivors of our own family, you know, on some level. <laughs> I, I understand what you mean. Yeah. Yes, okay, we would so, describe this, the dysfunction the same, but we have different reactions to it. Ah, different reactions to it. It's cool. Well, you know, you are. I'm putting things together because I, I feel like I've been on riding shotgun with you for for a while. You know. Thank God. And you're a relationship person. You wrote the book. And let's let everybody remember the title of which was the Four Noble Truths of Love. And before that. The wisdom of a broken heart, and before, and before that, that? The, hard, the hard questions. What subtitle? Hundred essential questions to ask before you say "I do." Okay, so it's interesting. You and we've had this conversation where you could set yourself up as a relationship expert, kind of ish thing, and we'd all be in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but you are looking for ways to relate. Uh, in a more, you know, create relationships based on less on projection. I think that is a through line, a thread. Well, that's a really good point. I never thought of that. But the hard questions even is like, let me know you, not what right. I think you should be. I mean, that was the whole genesis of that book was, who, who are you? So you should be a couples therapist. Yeah, that would be a great, great idea for everyone except me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, you know, be if, you look, at it. if you look for like triage and where help is needed, where re- reinforcements are needed, th- th- I, I can't think of a better place than if you could figure out how two people could get along, you probably could solve some much bigger problems. Well, I know. I think you should do that. Well, you know, you're good a, at working with people directly. Yes. But I don't have, I don't have as, you know, um, I, I, I'm mystified myself by how you could get, you know, there's a joke that is my one of my favorites for the the uh, a woman goes into an audition you know for a for a musical and uh she says um okay you know could you please just sing this song and that's what we're going to use for the test and the song is you say potato you know you know that song so she gets up there very straight place and she goes you say potato and I say potato, you say tomato, and I say tomato, potato, <laughs> potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. And the, the, the director is stunned and everybody's like got their jaw dropped to the floor. And he says to her, you know, um, uh, Miss, Miss Simon, I'm sorry, but you missed the whole point of this song. And she goes, oh, it's Simone. So isn't that it? That's that's good. Yeah. Isn't that is. the Republicans and the Democrats? One could make the argument. You know, could it, make the argument. they're looking at this, you know, and, and it is, if there was some awareness that you pronounce that differently, but you mean something similar. Otherwise, well, you just got to assume that the world is full of enemies. That's right. Exactly. And stupid right. enemies. It's exactly right. That's a dark view. Very dark and comp- all around us right now. Yeah. And this in some way, big or small, pierces that. It just takes time and patience and spaciousness and a willingness to look at your own flaws. 
Nobody really wants to do that. <laughs> Why don't we want to do that? It's so juicy. I, I agree. But it's so, de- I don't know. It's so scary. Isn't that sort of the fundamental twist? Yeah. It, it makes us feel. Nobody wants to look at their own flaws. Yes. Nobody wants to be vulnerable. Uh, vulnerable. Because mm. then you're unshielded. And to see your own flaws, you have to be vulnerable. Some kind of wall comes down. That's why when people meditate, they cry. Because that wall starts to come down at some point. You just start feeling more. It's a beautiful vision that probably many people who've been into religions and stuff share that there's some place where all this has been worked through. I never thought of that either. But yes, there is a way. There is a way, which is very hard to believe right now. Yeah, right now it's pretty, um, it's it's depressing, but it's also really chaotic. Do you find that the world is very chaotic right now? Yes, and I've also heard that chaos is good news. Yeah, that's a powerful, that's like holding a live fire hose that has a lot of water coming through it, trying to aim it. Yeah, nobody said it's fun news yeah. or easy news, but things are just, just, I mean, I don't know, but things feel very much like they're disintegrating, which means they could re-arise. Well, and you you have this wonderful platform called the Open Heart Project, uh, which you started, uh, you know, earlier than almost anybody, like it's going to go online yeah. before everybody was thinking uh, digital platforms. Yeah. So that, that and, and then are there threads, waves that go through the Open Heart Project that you notice? Like, what are, what are people concerned about most now yeah. in, that, in that community? Community. They're mm. concerned about community. How do I, how do I refuel? How do I connect with others who think like me? How do I not think like me, but where are my friends, basically? Where are, is, where are my friends? You know, I don't know. I, when we talk, I was very spontaneous, but I just had a flash memory of, you know, I grew up in Stuyvesant Town in New York, and there were playgrounds with numbers on them. By the way, no, there were more than nine. Wouldn't that be weird if Stuyvesant Town yes. was the root of the Enneagram? Um, <laughs> uh, but I had a, you had a, a gang as a kid. You had your friends and you go play punch ball or whatever, you know, whatever it was. One day I walked into the playground about nine years old and my friends, I thought they were my friends, gathered around me, some of them, and one of them nailed behind me and the other one pushed me over him. Like, you know, and I went, I thought you guys were my friends. And I sort of, you know, ran away. And as I'm running, he says, you killed Christ. In other words, they all went to like Grace Church and Immaculate Conception, these schools. We went to PS40 and PS9. And they had been taught that day that the Jews killed Christ. And that was the end of that little club. I'm sorry that happened. Well, I think it's happened to many other people at some point. Of course. You know, Um, so I don't even know why, why, but when you said community, how do you build community? Are you trying intentionally to build a, a, a community to benefit those those people? It seems like that's what's happening. 
but what I'm, I think what I'm really trying to do is offer a place to connect with the three jewels. One of which is community. So Uh, Buddha, you connect with your own wakefulness through the practice. Dharma, we study things together. We have conversations. We, it's not like this is the Dharma, but let's read this book together. Let's have a class about the Enneagram or about the three jewels. And Sangha, let's be in this together. So what I found is that people who struggle with their practice, which is everybody, it's because they're not bringing all three jewels to their practice. They're just Mm. Buddha or Dharma. Right. Okay. And, but they need to all be there simultaneously in some way that works for you. Not everybody likes to talk in groups and that's fine, but you know, there's a Sangha there. And that's what I think the open art project is trying to do is offer all three jewels. I don't know why, but that just made me want to cry. Oh, Dave. It's so sweet. Oh, oh, love. That makes me feel so good in some way. It's, you know, <sighs> what makes you teary? Yeah. It's what, and it's good. Sense. I mean, I talk about goodness. That's in Dharma Moon too. The community is the carries the goodness. You know, everybody's bad when you give them a chance mm-hmm. on the side, but when they come together, there's some kind of upping in the level of goodness. The goodness doing, ratio goes up in community. You're doing if it's the same a healthy way. community. You're yeah, presenting the, all three jewels that you. I've seen you. You're doing it. Okay. Okay. And, and but you know the one that is jumping out right now is community. Absolutely. And a lot of people I'm talking to are seeking that out. Of course, it's got a digital footprint these days, which is you know interesting. So that makes it sort of Bardo community because you don't even know where everybody is. You know. I, um. And. It was meant to happen. The, the, uh-huh. the global digital community is something that we, we're definitely, you can see going with the metaverse, it's going much further. I saw an ad for the metaverse the other day, um, and it's all virtual reality, you know, all, like classrooms that are virtual, but people, there's a representation of you in the classroom, yeah. and like the, and there's a teacher, so the whole thing feels quasi-real. Yeah, it's weird. It, it's weird, and it's going to be um, something that is... It's been portrayed in, you know, science fiction as like a coming. If you see that movie Ready Player One, if you ever want anybody wants to see a movie, which is sort of it's a fun, you know, light thing, but there's a virtual reality component that is uh, that is very developed, and people are spending time in it and out outside of it. And you can see people. I see people like walking down the street like this, you know. Sure. And some part of their consciousness is in a different sphere. I was talking to someone the other day who gives talks, like corporate level talks. Mm. And he showed me online this one corporation where he's going to give a talk, but it's all virtual. Mm. There's a stadium. Everybody has their seat and the representation of themselves in their seat. You can walk onto the stage in real time and meet, talk to someone who's there too. That's right. Wow. Yeah. It's it's pretty, it's something. But but let me just tell you this about Sangha, because this is what I always think of. Good. I was I was talk, talking to Tara Barak, you know, the wonderful Vipassana teacher. Sure. 
And I was interviewing her for something. I can't remember what. And I said, what do you tell your students who suffer from compassion fatigue? It's like 10 years ago. Now mm. it's like a million times worse. Mm. And she didn't say Buddha. She didn't say Dharma. She said, I tell them Sangha. Mm. That really stuck That really mm. stuck with me. Like that's where the tank gets filled. That's yeah. where we can find a way to go on. Yeah. Well, you and I are Sangha, right? Yes, we are. We're really Sangha. And, you know, so there's a sense of coming back in, touching in, catching up on what's happening with this, what's happening with that. And I, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm ripening on the vine. Like if I were a tomato, somebody better pick me soon. <laughs> but, you know, this idea of this friendship that we've developed uh, with people who are, it's not just ordinary friendship, it's Dharma friendship. Yeah. And you, you're really offering, you know, feedback and, and encouragement and also, you know, critical thinking when, when we need to share it. And it really is a non-toxic version of people assembling. Yeah, I feel so lucky to be in a friendship with you and that we have friendships like that in our based lives. Based on that, based on that. Yeah, yeah, very well, lucky. Well, let's, let's tell, just give the big punch for, for the book here. Let's just go, because, you know, this is the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck workshop. So we're allowed to, in, in our sangha, actually promote something and, and encourage people yeah. to, to attend it. So when is the book coming out? September 13th, 2022. Okay. It will be an ebook, a print book, and an audio book. Okay. And it is self-published. So can they can they sign up for it early if they if like let's say this podcast comes yes. out in August, that could they go online and pre-order the book? Yes, that would be great. They could and, pre-order the ebook now, but the print book won't be available for pre-order for about another two or three weeks. But if it's okay, well, this won't be out that anybody, soon. So, so yes, yeah. they could pre-order, and that would be great because that would really in the, impress upon the retail powers that be that this book is of interest to people, and okay. that helps cue the right algorithms create, and what create the, the the momentum. And it would, should they do that on Amazon or through your website? What's yeah. the best one? Amazon or Barnes and Noble or oh okay any of the online any products. independent bookseller but the pre-order is really for Amazon and okay. I know there's people don't like Amazon that's cool but that's where most books are sold and okay. every book that's pre-ordered on day one that counts as one day of sales so okay. if a thousand people pre-order the book over a thousand days yeah doesn't count as a thousand days it counts as one day. Right. I see what you mean. All the pre-order period is. Okay. So, and um, are you going to sign any books for people? Are you going to have any, you know, are you going to go online and do a presentation about the book? Is there something we can steer people towards? Yeah, actually, when people pre-order the book, they're invited to a free webinar with me about the Enneagram. 90-minute webinar. I think it's September 25th. And I would love to give a more thorough introduction to the Enneagram, you know, person to person, face to face. Okay. Um, and then I don't know what else. I've got to figure out some other things. That's some good target area. And of course, they could go to the Open Heart Project website and susanpiver.com, right? And they are the same thing. They each okay. resolve to openheartproject.com. Okay. So um, 
we'll be looking for that outcome. And we're also, um, you know, wishing you well with all the work that you're doing. Um, and, and I think the fact that you're being so creative is cool. You know, okay. you're, you're making stuff up from, from where you come from. And, um, you know, and then you're following through. You're not just like putting a bunch of loaves in the oven and going away. You know, you're, you're, you're taking them out of the oven. You're serving up the bread. So lots of love to you, Susan Piver, always. And oh. thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you for being my friend and okay. having this conversation. There you have it, folks. Another episode of the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast on the Be Here Now Network. We would like to send a huge thank you to Susan Piver for joining us on the podcast and for teaching. I've had the privilege of being in the container with her while she has been in the teacher's seat, and it is always a wonderful, informative, and heartwarming experience. So thank you, Susan. We encourage everyone to go out and purchase her book, The Buddhist Enneagram, Nine Paths to Warriorship. Head over to The Open Heart Project, which is theopenheartproject.com. And, you know, get curious over there. See what's happening. We would very much like to thank the Be Here Now Network and everybody over there who works on this and many podcasts and everybody who is continuing the lineage and tradition of Ram Das and the Neem Karoli Baba community, thank you. Uh, we encourage everyone to head over to www.beherenownetwork.com and check out the amazing slate of offerings of podcasts offering wisdom from wisdom traditions all over the world in time and space. Also, if you like what you hear on this podcast and you would like to connect with David and our community at Dharma Moon, please head over to dharmamoon.com. We always have lots of programming running. Every third Sunday of each month, we have an open community mindfulness meditation sit. Anybody can come and pop in, pop out at any time and just have some space to be with yourself and also be in community on Zoom. Uh, we have Ethan Nickturn teaching year-long Buddhist studies courses. Uh, we have Foundations of Mindfulness programming. And we also run three or four mindfulness meditation teacher trainings per year. So depending on when you're listening to this, there'll be lots of wonderful offerings up on our website at dharmamoon.com. And if you like this podcast, we encourage you to tell your friends about it, share it on social media, give us a five-star review, um, and help get the word out. And if you have a guest that you'd like us to have on the show or suggestion or something you'd like David and I to talk about, shoot me an email at michaelk at dharmamoon.com and I will get back to it when I can. Sometimes it takes a minute. Um, but either way, we appreciate very much hearing from you. And that is it for our episode today. Thank you so very much for listening. We sincerely hope this podcast is a benefit to you and your practice and by extension, all those around you. Thank you. May you and all sentient beings be safe, healthy, happy, and at ease. All the best. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, 
deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.